Hi, my name is Trevor O'Keefe, and I'm the pastor at Olive Branch Christian Fellowship. We're a Jesus-loving Bible church who are committed to studying the words of Jesus, walking in the ways of Jesus, and partnering in the mission of Jesus. Thanks for joining us on that journey today. I'd love to jump into scripture with you, uh, because this is my first opportunity uh, to be with you. And, And for us, it's an opportunity on a day like today, I think, for us to look back. Uh, not just to look forward, cast a little vision, or ask you to pray about these things. That's the looking forward part we just had. But now to look back uh, on this last year, not to like, here's your highlights from the news. I'm not going to torture you with that. Um, but for us to look back at what God's been doing in our church, but in our lives personally as well. It, a day like today creates an opportunity for reflection, which I really think is a good thing. And it's something Lindsay and I have been doing, as you know, because our lives had slowed down dramatically. Uh, because of exposure to COVID. And and for some of us, you you might be here and all of a sudden you're disappointed going, I honestly, I just want to turn the page on 2021. And I understand that. It's the longest 14 years of my life as well, 2021 was. I get it. And un- unfortunately, 2022 is off to a terrible start as well. And so I get it. I, I, there's a part of me that would rather just close my eyes and be like, and today we just move forward. But I think that there's something for us. I think it's healthy for us to look back. And maybe you're a student of scripture and you're like, I don't know, Trevor, because I remember Paul writing and saying, I forget the things which are behind and instead I press on. You might remember that from the book of Philippians. In the context when Paul's talking about choosing to forget what was behind him, it really is his past successes where he lays out his credentials and his past failures where he talks about his his reckless zeal that cost people their lives. So for him to forget his past was a choice to let go of things that really would have hindered his future progress. Forgetting the past was either the things that would have left him puffed up in pride or would have left him so defeated because of how grave and broken those mistakes were. So forgetting the things which are behind, or yes, be free from the things that God has forgiven you for. After all, if God has forgiven you of those things, then maybe you get to let let them go as well. Maybe you get to forgive yourself even as well. In Scripture, it says that he cast them as far as the east is from the west. I don't know that God necessarily technically forgets the things that we've done. I think it's that he no longer holds them over our head. He casts them as far as the east is to the from the west. Those are two points that never intersect, and he chooses not to go and retrieve them and hold them over me and hold me accountable to them. I don't know that he truly forgets because one day I'll see Jesus as a lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Forever in all of eternity, we will remember what it cost God to bring us back into his family cost him taking on our sin and our judgment and punishment that we deserved. I don't know that he forgets, but if he doesn't hold them over my head, maybe I get to release them, forget them as well. So yes, like Paul, there are some things worth forgetting and not holding themselves your those things against yourself. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel teaches us. But I do think that while many people spend their time maybe just looking ahead and setting new goals, that studies show us that our time might be better spent doing at least something in addition to that, and that would be reflecting. In fact, I I read a study again this week that was saying that it was like over 90%, I believe it was 94% of people who set a New Year's resolution don't hold it uh, through February, um, which is not very encouraging. But uh, statistics and articles will tell you that there's, if you wanna set goals, it's fine, but maybe there's something to do in addition to that in addition to some sort of a New Year's resolution. And it's actually the thing that God is seen doing all throughout Scripture. 
It seems like every time the people of God are on the precipice of a new season, God slows them down to reflect and remember. And I think it's wise for us to do as well. As they'd step into a new season, God slowed them down and says, remember what I've done in the past, because I believe God's past faithfulness is what produces a present faith. And so that's what God is looking for us to have, to be people of faith. And that's what we want to be, because it's such a gift to us. Faith is what gains access to God. Faith is what allows us to experience God. Faith is what gives us the the byproduct of that experience of God. The peace and the joy and the comfort and the hope are connected to a a faith that, that is rooted in his past faithfulness that it produces like a blossom on a plant or a blossom off a stem. The roots of that beauty, of that faith in our lives, are the faithfulness of God to us in the past. So this is a passage I look at every new year just as a person, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 4, and that's why I had you turn there. It's at the precipice of it. It's right at the borderline of, of Moses commissioning the people to move forward into the promised land where Joshua will lead them. But before they go forward, God instructs the people of God through Moses to do just that, to remember. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such, such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law, which I set before you this day. Just push pause for a second. His appeal to the people of God is, who is like us? Who's like us? And and the access they have to God. Remember what he says, who's like us? And that they have their God so near to them. It's an appeal that I think echoes to us. I don't believe that the church has replaced Israel. I don't believe that theologically. But I think that the appeal he's making to Israel here, to the nation of God, is really compelling. He's telling them because you have this special access to and favor with God. We are such a special people. Then think about the uniqueness of that. And then he's going to say, because of that unique connection we have to God amongst all of creation and all of humanity, all the more we ought to trust him. Now think of us today on this side of the cross, though. Again, I don't think we've replaced Israel. But think about we as followers of Jesus, what we have when it comes to access and favor with God. As we read this, these words from Moses, it echoes to us, who is like us, who has our God so near to us? Remember Jesus on a cross taking my punishment and and, and taking my sin upon him. And when he's breathing his last, saying that it's finished, the veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom. It's torn from the top to the bottom to show that it was heaven itself that was rendering that, was ripping that apart, removing the separation from the Holy of Holies, the place where God's Spirit dwelt from mankind. Because God was going to burst forth back into creation to dwell not just amongst his people, but in his people. Remember, Paul would write, he says, there's this mystery that's been hidden from the ages, and the mystery is that Christ is now in you. And he's your hope of glory. If Moses is appealing to them saying, you got to remember, you have such a unique thing in your access and favor to God, then you as a follower of Jesus, you ought to remember as we step into this year, we have an incredible gift. Amongst all of creation, amongst all of humanity, followers of Jesus, the access and favor we have to God is unbelievable. Something that the saints of old who stood there with Moses wouldn't have even believed. 
but you can have access to him in a moment's notice through prayer, knowing that you have favor with him because we are on this side of the cross. And so he appeals to his people. If that's true of us, then we ought to have faith in him. In fact, keep reading with me, beginning in verse 9. He's saying, if this is true, only take heed to yourselves. Diligently keep yourselves, lest you forget the things which your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb. It's the mountain range of Mount Sinai. When the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and they they might teach them to their children. He tells them, don't forget these things and pass these things on to someone else. So think about this. Moses is instructing the people of God here, instructed by God to address them, speaking of those who are governed by God, the nation of Israel, when they're entering into that new period, the new chapter for them, stepping into the promised land. Remember, that's the transition point here in the story is from the wilderness to the promised land. And real quick is just a history lesson. Remember, our story begins in Genesis with a, a, a beautiful creation that's, that's without issue. It's, it's what we would call even maybe perfect, without a flaw. And yet sin enters that and splinters the good creation that God had created. And then you know that a promise enters into that bleak moment, a promise from heaven that God would come as a redeemer and that he would rescue creation and restore it back to its prior glory. That promise was about a person, a redeemer coming who would crush Satan and his rebellion, but in doing so would be wounded. And and by the time Jesus is on a cross, we're recognizing that he would be mortally wounded in order to do this. But that promise would be echoed then to Abraham, where God would tell him, that descendant, that rescuer is going to be one of your descendants, and all the nations of the earth will benefit from that person's act, the act that we find taking place on a cross. Abraham, you know the story, he has a son whose name is Isaac. And, and then Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And Jacob has his name rechanged to Israel. Remember, to contend with God. And Israel has 12 sons. And those 12 sons become figureheads of the 12 tribes. Remember, they move because of famine into the land of Egypt. And while in Egypt, they have a population explosion. But then they're forced into slavery. And for 400 years, they remain there crying out to their God. And God sends a deliverer named Moses. And Moses will lead them out of the land of Egypt and lead them towards a land that God has promised to them to have a future. That they'd establish themselves there, that there would be battles there for sure, but that God had promised them victory. And so this is the moment where Moses is about to say sayonara and send them off to Joshua, who will lead them into the promised land. And in that moment, God slowed them down to speak to them, not necessarily to tell them, set big goals as you move into this next phase or chapter or set new high standards for yourself. No, instead, what he told them was to look to the past for the motivation, for the inspiration for their future. He told them, slow down and remember. In fact, he was specifically concerned about them forgetting what God had done in the past, what they had seen in the past what they'd even heard him say in the past. And is that a big deal, we wonder? Well, for sure it's a big deal, because like I told you a few minutes ago, I really believe that remembering God's past faithfulness is what shapes and gives us a present faith. 
Remember Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. Remember Hebrews 11, we call it affectionately the hall of faith because it's these individuals where it's telling us about their story, about their faith, but more so it's telling us about God's faithfulness to them. That these heroes of our faith, individuals like Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and Samson, that we're to look at them and see how faithful God was to them. And then chapter 12 begins by telling us that you should run with endurance the race that is set before you, looking only unto Jesus, but that we're to do it because we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. He gives these examples to you, and the example is not their stellar performance. Think about that. The example is God's faithfulness to them in spite of their lack of performance, in spite of their lack of character, in spite of their issues and flaws, their, their poor decisions and rebellion. That's the point of Hebrews 11. And then chapter 12 is like, so you go therefore and run your race looking to Jesus with confidence that he'll be faithful to you because he was faithful to them. He's faithful to them. People like Abraham who lied about his wife in order to cover himself because his wife was so attractive. He thought someone might take my life to take her. So instead I'll just call her my sister. And then they maybe take her and and maybe she's abused. Maybe she's mistreated. Maybe she's enslaved. That's what the guy does twice. That's our hero of the faith because God was faithful to a mess like that. It's people like David who killed a guy to cover his infidelity, like Rahab who's a prostitute. It's people like Samson who was a pervert or Moses who killed a guy and buried him in his backyard. Here's your heroes in the faith. It's not because they were heroic. It's not that God was faithful to them because of their stellar performance. He was faithful to them in spite of their shortcomings. And we're meant to pause in a moment like that and and go, if God is faithful to those kinds of people, then I get to be honest that I'm one of those kinds of people who's a broken mess. I'm not looking to God saying, hey, be faithful to me because of my good performance. I'm saying, please, God, be merciful to me in spite of my issues, my brokenness. And I get to live then with confidence that, wow, he did it for all of them. He'll do it for me. He'll be faithful to me. His past faithfulness is meant to produce a present faith. And that is so very important, vitally important, because your Bible tells you without faith, it's impossible to please him. It's funny how we would generate our own list, wouldn't we? What what do you have to do if you want to please God? Without giving, without trying harder, without a new standard of morality, without fill in the blank, without faith. Without faith, that's what he's after. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And the way to faith, I believe, is God's past faithfulness produces in us a present faith. Yes, forget your past failures, lest you become discouraged, or or maybe even some of your past successes, lest you become arrogant and self-assured, like Paul would write to the New Testament church, but don't forget the good God that you have who's done good things for you. Remember those good things. You see, shortly after this dialogue that Moses has here in Deuteronomy 4 with the children of Israel, Joshua will do almost a similar thing. Something unique when the children of Israel, they enter into the promised land. You might remember in Joshua chapter 4 that God in that moment parts the waters of the Jordan River as the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant as they step into the water. They stood on the banks and the the Jordan was there in front of them, but it wasn't until they stepped into the water by faith that then the waters parted. And in that moment that that took place, that Joshua instructed the, the tribal leaders, 12 individuals, 
to each take up a large stone to commemorate this moment of God's faithfulness and take those large stones and to place them on the other side of the Jordan River inside the promised land to set them out out in a circle in the middle of the encampment of the nation of Israel. And they called the place Gilgal, which some Hebrew linguists would tell you it literally is translated the circle of stones. The nation of Israel, as they stepped into the promised land, their very identity, their very encampment was built around the circle of stones because the stones were bigger than stones. The stones were a physical reminder of some spiritual truth and reality. The fact that God had been faithful to them and would bring them against all odds into his promises because he's faithful. Not because they deserved it or earned it. They were broken and messy, but because he's faithful. And so for the nation, every time they'd go out on conquest and come back to Gilgal, they'd come back to the circle of stones. Every time they went out on conquest, overwhelmed and against all odds, they left from the circle of stones. Every time they felt overwhelmed, they sat by the circle of stones. The physical reminder of the spiritual truth and reality that God had been faithful to them to bring them against all odds into a promised land that they never thought was possible. In that same moment, the story tells us in Joshua 4 that Joshua goes back to the banks of the Jordan and he himself begins a pile of rocks at the bank of the Jordan River. So that if anyone felt overwhelmed, if anyone in the future chapter ahead, if they felt so discouraged and thought, forget it, it's not worth it, I'm not going to walk forward any longer, I'm going to go back instead. Before they'd reach the Jordan, before they'd cross over to go back and give up, they'd see a visible reminder of a spiritual truth and reality. They'd see a pile of rocks that they remembered. They placed these here on the day that God miraculously brought us here. They placed these here on the day that he did that, but that day was on the heels of a previous day and, and a previous day before that and that where God had delivered them from Egypt, had protected them from the Egyptians, had provided them for them through the wilderness for 40 years and brought them to this point. These stones were a physical reminder of the spiritual truth and reality that they had a faithful God who would carry them into the promised land in their future. There's this rhythm and pattern in scripture where God seems to slow his people down to tell them to remember so that in moments where they'd be tempted to give up or to be discouraged or to just sit down rather than move forward, he wanted them to have moments and times that they chose. I will not forget this. I'm going to hang on to it. And those things he asked them to hang on to were not their past failures. He said, forget those. I've removed them as far as the east is from the west. No, remember instead my faithfulness. Remember my goodness. They were more than a stone, a set of stones at Gilgal. They were a gift to the future of the people. It was future generations who would say, what's the deal with the stones? And their parents and grandparents and others would point and say, oh, haven't you heard the story of our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers before them? Don't you know the stories of old? Samuel does the same thing if you fast forward in the story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 7 where, where God delivers his people from their enemies, and Samuel sets up a stone of remembrance. In the story, Israel had lost this terrible battle, suffered an awful defeat, and the byproduct of them losing the battle is that they lose their lucky rabbit's foot. You see, their faith in God had waned. They believed instead, almost superstitiously, in a God who, whose power was emanating from an Ark of the Covenant. Their connection wasn't to God. Their connection, like every other nation, seemed to just be to superstition. They bring it in, lose the battle, and then 
And then as the Ark of the Covenant is taken by their enemies, for them it felt like this is the moment where we realized we've departed from our God because we're distant from him. And it began a cycle of repentance for them. And as they repented, you, you might remember the story, in the end that Ark plagued the enemy nation of the Philistines and the Ark ends up being sent back to them, given back as a gift. And they end up on the same battlefield against the same enemy that they had lost miserably to. But this time things were different. Their God showed up and did the miraculous and they defeated their enemies. It was an amazing thing. Because in the past it was the same enemy, the same spot, and they had lost miserably. This time even with less people, they come out victorious because their God was faithful to them. So Samuel erects a massive stone in the middle of that valley so that in the future, every time people traversed through that valley or saw that stone in the distance, they were to remember their stone of help. In fact, that's what he called it. In Scripture, it says that it says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, Hitherto, thus far, the Lord has helped us. They called it an Ebenezer stone. It's two Hebrew words pushed together. A stone of help. The stone didn't help them in battle. The stone was a reminder of their help. The stone would help them in their future, though. It would help them in their future because it would remind the people every time that they saw it that God forgave us, that God came back to us, and then that God rescued us, that he was faithful to us, that that's what they were to remember every time they passed by that stone, that the, the stone commemorated the victory God gave them against all odds, and every time they passed by it, they would remember what they were capable of because their God was faithful to them. It was a physical reminder of a spiritual truth and reality. Now, I bring these stories up not because I think that it's important to highlight Moses and Joshua and Samuel too. I do think that their stories are important, but I bring up their stories because I want to push on you as a person that I believe that you and I are to do the same thing, that we're to slow down and do this personally. I mean, when you think about it, we naturally, instinctively even, we pile up our hurt. We drag with us our disappointment. We move from, from one life stage to the next, dragging all that baggage with us. It's true, isn't it? It's a disappointing moment. I'll just be personal. It's, it's such, a, such a sad, hard moment for me when I catch myself lashing out in frustration towards my children and what I hear is my father when he, when he was much younger and I was much younger. My dad was a new follower of Jesus, stepping out in faith to follow Jesus, overwhelmed and stressed, and I remember that man who's dramatically changed by the grace of God like all of us do. But I remember that version of my dad, and I'll see for a moment a little piece of it in myself. It's so defeating. Because we drag with us so much through life. If we naturally, instinctively seem to do that, where now we face something else that's difficult, and what we find ourselves thinking is, God, I've been here before. I've been through betrayal. I've been through disappointment. I've been through hurt. I can't do this again. We're, we're thinking that way because we drag all of that baggage with us every place we go. If we already instinctively do that, then wouldn't we be wise to bring something else with us too? To intentionally bring with us a reminder of God's faithfulness. If we're naturally in our broken states, constantly dragging with us all our brokenness, all our hurt, all our disappointment, 
But maybe we need to bring something else to be reminders for us of the faithfulness of God in moments we're overwhelmed. Maybe it'd be wise to have a physical reminder of a spiritual truth and reality in our homes and in our lives. Maybe it is a physical stone, like they did in the nation of Israel. For some of you, maybe it's different than that. Maybe for you, it looks like you journal, and that becomes your stones of remembrance, that you go back in moments that you're overwhelmed, and you look and read about God's answered prayer in your life and his faithfulness to you and provision for your family. Maybe that's what it looks like for you. For me, it typically looks like sticky notes, or if you look at my Bible, if your conscience will allow you to do it, then I'd invite you to do the same thing I do. My Bible is like an active journal, where it, all throughout my Bible, over the years, reading and rereading through the text, there's little notes in the margin of my Bible with dates next to them saying, God, this is what I'm facing. God, this is what I'm asking. God, here's where I'm hopeless. God, this is how I'm hurting. But God, I believe that you're faithful. And I can look back at those dates and remember those moments. Some of them give descriptors. I'm sitting at such and such a place right now, grieving this loss. Or I'm, I'm, I'm standing in this spot, thinking through this thing that overwhelms me. And I can relive those moments and remember, I'm on this side of those moments. And God was faithful and carried me through. They are stones of remembrance. I do this so that when I'm overwhelmed, I remember more than just my hurt and disappointment. I do it so that I remember the faithfulness of God as well. Because I instinctively remember my past hurt and disappointment. Okay, think about it. In this day with Moses, on the day that he gathered all of them together, all of Israel, as he's saying, remember. Man, think about it. All of them would stop and go, yeah, we remember. It was really hard. Egypt, we felt forgotten. We cried out for years, decades, generations. The Red Sea, we, we were remembered in Egypt and delivered, and then we faced the impossible. And then we get on the other side of it, and we're dying of thirst, and we come to a spring that they call Mara, for it was bitter, where they drank of it thinking, finally, a life source, we can make it, we'll live. And they drink of the water, it was so bitter, they spit it out. Oh, we remember, they'd say. It's kind of like us. We slow down. We're like, hey, pastor says remember. I'm like, oh, we remember. We don't want to. We don't want to remember. I wish that masks weren't a thing, that it just was such a foreign concept. I wish we could rewind two years and, and, and for many of us say, I've never worn a mask in my life. I wish, I wish that none of us came in with a heavy heart today because we're still feeling like we're counting losses because of COVID. I have a four-year-old. I wish for her that she remembered a world other than the world that she's grown up in. Because the version of the world that she remembers is a masked world that's socially distanced, that's super weird. She doesn't even know that it's weird. For, here it's, for her, it's normal. I've told you guys before about us being out in front of our house riding scooters and bikes, and usually as a car comes around the corner, one of the kids would yell, car, car, car. So then everybody goes to safety. Well, my youngest, she saw a family pushing a stroller come around the corner. And she yelled, people, people, people. I thought, oh, my goodness. Therapy bills. And this is the world we live in. For all who gathered with Moses there, they'd, they'd have those memories. They'd say, oh, yeah, we remember. <laughs> it was hard. It was tragic. It was difficult. You want us to remember, but some would interrupt them. Someone interrupt him and say, yeah, it was hard, but don't you remember? Don't you really remember what happened? Yeah, in Egypt, we felt forgotten, but God sent plagues, miraculous plagues, one after another. Each plague taking an ax to the tree of their false gods in Egypt that they trusted in. 
each plague showing that the things that they trusted and that we feared had no power over our God. Each plague so that we could find our way out, not just released, but even sent off. Yeah, I know we hit the Red Sea, but don't you remember we saw something we never thought possible? The waters parted before us and we crossed. And as soon as we finished crossing, the waters crashed down on top of our enemy who was pursuing us. We're, we're a bunch of a broken down slaves running for freedom, being chased by an army. We had no chance. And yet look at what God did. Yeah, we remember. Yeah, Mara, we remember getting to the water and taking a drink and spitting it out. And then remember God speaking to Moses saying, cast in the tree and the bitter will be made sweet. What a picture of the cross. Yeah, we remember. It was hard. It was scary. It was overwhelming. But we remember God's faithfulness. We remember we were hungry in the wilderness. And then this stuff that we didn't even know what to call it, so we called it manna. What is it? It rained down every night. We found it every morning. When we got tired of just that, God sent quail to come into our encampment that we had and had our fill of it. When we were thirsty, God... Uh, God told Moses to speak to the rock and the waters emerged from it. When we were attacked, we, we fought and Moses stood on the hillside praying for us with arms outstretched and somehow we defended ourselves and won. When we felt lost and cold in the wilderness, God covered us by day and provided a pillar of fire by night. He took care of us so affectionately against all odds in an inexplicable way. Yeah, it was hard, but it was amazing because look at how faithful our God was. Listen, all of Israel would agree it was difficult in the wilderness, but some would have interrupted them and said, but come on, guys, don't you remember? Don't you remember how good it was? Don't you remember the, the amazing things we saw happen because we saw God do the miraculous? For us, the question is, which one are we? Are we a person who just looks back and says, man, oh, 2021, what a mess. Are we the people, though, who also interrupt the others and say, but can I tell you what I saw God do? Can I tell you about where I saw God be faithful? Remember, as they are emerging into that land, he says, especially don't forget what you heard at Horeb. Remember, it's the mountain range of Sinai. It's where Moses went up to meet with God and, and they expected him to come down with an image, a depiction of God. But he came down without an image. He came down with a promise instead. And the promise was that I'll be with you. And when they said, well, who are you? He says, I am. I am your all-sufficient one. Remember the day what you heard that day what you heard was a promise. What you expected was a depiction on a rock that would show limitations. It would show a God who could be comprehended because he looks like that, because that's who our God is. But our God is so vast, he can't be depicted in a rock or an image. Instead, he came down with the promise, I will never leave you. I will be with you. And he came home with that descriptor, and we call him our great I am, our all-sufficient they had a God every other nation did for everything they needed. But the nation of Israel had one God who was saying, I'm greater than the sum total of all of them, and I'm available to you. May I remind you that their God, that your God is a follower of Jesus, is too big to fit into an image. He's too vast to be understood or depicted on a rock. That God is teaching them in this moment that he's unlike any other God, that he's far greater than every other God. 
maybe as you walk into a new season, a new chapter this next year, you need to be reminded that God is bigger than your problems, that he's greater than any issue that you'll encounter, and that he's able to aid those who are suffering. In scripture, he says it's, he is an ever-present help in time of need. So 2021, what was it for you? We'd all agree it was hard, it was difficult, it was irritating, it was annoying, it was frustrating, disheartening. We'd all agree on those things. But did we all at some point, yes, feel forgotten? Yes, face what felt impossible. Yes, even forget his faithfulness. But did we all at some point stop and say, but look at what God did. It was amazing. Because we saw him do the miraculous. Where we, like they, experienced God's provision. We, like they, we learned the power of prayer. We, like they, saw him intervene. We, like they, we heard his voice speak to us and lead us. We're stepping into a new chapter, and I think it's wise for us to heed what God does with his people again and again throughout the pattern of Scripture. And that's for you to slow down and remember more than just your past hurt and disappointment that you carry with you, but remember his past faithfulness because it produces a present faith as you move forward into your future. He told them, remember, also give thanks. And we'll do that because in a moment we're going to partake of communion together and we'll give thanks collectively for the faithfulness and love of our God. But he also said, pass these things on. Remember, he was saying, don't let these things that you've seen, that you've heard and experienced die with you because they're examples of God's faithfulness and care for his people. So pass them on to someone else is what he told them. And then throughout scripture, we find people erecting stones of remembrance When you're discouraged and you want to give up, that there's a physical object in your life that catches your eye, that reminds you of a spiritual truth and reality, reminds you of the fact that God is faithful. And maybe for some of you, you do need to maybe set some new goals. I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think it's possible that there's a a far greater mistake being made than just failing to set a goal, and that's failing to slow down and remember that God is faithful to overlook what God has done in your life in this last season where he's proven himself to be faithful. And so I'd encourage you to do what we discussed and observed today as this pattern of something God continued to ask his people all throughout scripture to do, to set up some sort of a physical reminder as you step into the new year, a physical object, a tangible reminder of a spiritual truth and reality of God being faithful to you in this last year. So as we leave today, um, we're handing out not just communion cups, and I hope you got one, uh, but we're also handing out free Ebenezer stones. They're much smaller than Moses's, and they're more cost-effective too, in that they're free for you. But there's a bucket on the back chair, uh, and if you're outside, you could just walk right in the door and snag one, and there's some markers and also some hand sanitizer. Don't worry, we got your back. But for you to take a moment and write on a stone, what's it for you? Remember, thus far, the Lord has helped us, is what they said in that moment. Thus far, the Lord has helped me. Last year, as as we rolled into the new year, for me on my stone, a year ago this time, it was affectionate care. That's what I wrote on my stone. Because as Lindsay and I reflected and talked about the way that God had led us in the previous stretch of time, and even leading us here, God was so affectionate and caring in the way that he led us. Like a shepherd, not a cattle driver, pushing us from behind. No, he gently led us at the pace that we were able and willing to go at. 
gently led us, gently affirmed and quieted insecurities in order to lead us as a family into the next step of what was ahead of us. As we stepped into this year for Lindsay and I, we both took time this week and I'll, she, you can ask her about her word because it was separate than mine, but not looking forward, giving you a word for this next year, but me looking backwards and saying, God, what was it this last year that you did? For me, it was faithful provision. That as I slowed down, I just was realizing, God, I'm, I'm so thankful and wanting to erect a stone of remembrance that you faithfully provided. Not just for my family this last year, as we stepped into a lot of what was uncertain and unknown for us, but he's done that for our church. And, and, and not just financially, what he did for us as a family, what he did for me as a person in, in faithful provision was providing the kind of support that I needed in the last year, providing the kind of encouragement that I needed in the last year, the kind of friendship that I was lacking and needing this last year. When I look at my life, I, I was a blessed individual, although at times and overwhelmed and frustrated and, and just another person hiding behind a mask this last year because it was a frustrating year. But I, I experienced the care of God in such a beautiful way, his faithful provision for me to provide the things that were far beyond finances, the things that quieted my own heart and soul. Years ago, I, was, I would tell people if they said, do you think you'll ever pastor a church? I'd say, absolutely not, because I don't want to do this alone. And I was so afraid that that's what it would feel like. And I don't feel that way. I'm so thankful that God knew what I needed and has faithfully provided the kind of support that I've needed. That's a massive thing for me. And I know as I step forward into the future, I'm going to have moments where I'm not going to feel that I have that. And I have to stop and remember, but I have a faithful God who provides. That I watched an entire year of his faithful provision for me. I need to remember his past faithfulness in order to give me present faith. Because that was the idea of the Ebenezer Stone. In fact, there's a famous preacher of old, and I'll finish with this. His name is Charles Spurgeon. Many of you probably know him, but he, he has a very famous uh, message that he preached on the Ebenezer Stone. And he comments that there when it says, Hitherto, from, from this time forward, we will remember what God has done. The, the hitherto is not just referencing God's past faithfulness. It's not just pointing you the direction of the past. It's looking with anticipation forward as well. Hitherto, it's, it's one of those if-then statements. If God has done this for us, then we believe he will continue to do it. If our God has proven that he's that faithful to us, then he will always be that faithful to us as we move forward. It's an if and a then. Hitherto, from this time forward, we believe that our God will stand with us and care for us and provide for us. And you know, the truth is, some of you might grab this as you leave and sit and stare at it and go, I don't know that I have a single thing to look back on this last year that doesn't feel like counting another loss. You might stop and think, I can't think of a, a single good thing to write on this stone. And if that's you, I'd ask that you'd go back further in your mind then. Not just to a year before or two or three before that. Go back 2,000 years. And write on your stone then Golgotha. The stone. Because our hope in future, our hope in our future, is connected to that stone. The stone that they would erect across atop of, the place of the skull, they called it. Where Jesus would be placed on that cross, where Jesus would suffer and die for us. If we need 
demonstration of God's faithfulness to hang on to that's going to produce a present faith in us, there's no greater stone that we could point to than the one at Golgotha. And then flip your stone over if that's you, and on the back of it, write the garden tomb. Because Christ's story doesn't end with the stone at Golgotha, although our story of our faith is rooted there. Our faith is reshaped in such a beautiful way when the stone in front of the garden tomb was rolled away. Because it proved not just at Golgotha that God was faithful and loved us. It proves to us that there's new life coming. It proves to us that there's a reason for hope. It proves to us that there is a reason for peace. It proves to us that there is an experience of comfort because we have a living God who ushers us into a good future where he wipes away tears and makes the world right again. You might feel like all you're counting is losses and you can't think of a single thing to write on that stone, then write Golgotha and flip it over and write Garden Tomb because that is the roots of our faith as a follower of Jesus. And so I'd ask you to slow down and remember those places. Remember Golgotha, the place of the skull where Christ would be crucified. Remember that garden tomb where he would be laid, but only laid to rest for just a brief period of time because he would rise again. Remember his faithfulness that he did it, not just in fulfillment of a promise, but he did it because of his deep love and care for you. Thank you again for listening to the Olive Branch Christian Fellowship Podcast. For more information about our church, go to olivebranchcf.org.